And we back. Hey, hey, huh, hey, huh, hey, huh, hey, huh, hey, huh, okay, huh, hey, huh. So let's jump back in it. I haven't reached out in a minute. Tell me what's good, how you feeling? We about to make a million. No, I ain't forget about the rollies. All my homies getting a percentage. Let's go, let's get it. Hey, what's up, Joey? What's up, Ryan? And welcome back to the Nosebleeds, everybody. We're here live tonight. Very excited to be live through WECB. Thankfully, they welcomed us back after a lengthy hiatus. After last semester, we went home early, but definitely happy to be back here on WECB and getting back into the swing of things. And Ryan, officially the the co-host now on WECB. You've been the co-host on the radio, or I'm sorry, on the podcast for a little while. How's it feel to be here in our little virtual studio, a.k.a. our room, doing the show? It just feels right, Joey. Saw this thing start up with um, you, Evan, and Asa. Saw you take it on by yourself, and I came on as a guest host for a little bit. Actually, just a guest, not even a guest host. And guest back. host? Come on. Yeah, Give yourself I'm, some credit I'm there. glad we're back, though. This, is, this feels right, back on the radio. Be able to talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about, but I'm excited. And there's plenty to talk about, Ryan. As we said, we, we've been doing the podcast for a little bit over the summer. You can check that out. Look up The Nosebleeds on Spotify, Apple, wherever else you may get your podcasts. We're probably on there. This show and all live shows will also be uploaded to the podcasts as well. So you guys can always check them out afterwards if you miss a live show. But, Ryan, we, we took a bit of a month off from, from the podcast as well. So we got a lot, of te- lot to catch up on even from that. And we'll start it off in the NBA because... We pretty much stopped once the NBA playoffs were really heating up, and now we pick back up right after they finish up. And the the big storyline, obviously, the Lakers come away with the title, the 17th in team history, and it's a great time to do it, obviously, with the loss of Kobe Bryant just a couple of months earlier. It's great to see the Lakers franchise get another ring and dedicate it to him. So it's awesome that the Lakers won it, even though I'm a Celtics fan. You can't really be mad at that too much. Mm -mm. But another storyline here, Ryan, is LeBron James wins his fourth ring. And what does this really do for LeBron's legacy for you, Ryan? Because I think after the third ring over the Warriors, that's where a lot of people started opening up the GOAT debate. Does that become more interesting with this fourth ring for you? I think it becomes a lot more interesting. I personally still think Michael Jordan's the GOAT. But I think it wasn't a debate up until he got that ring a few nights ago with the Lakers. I still think Michael Jordan's the GOAT. I just think right now, like, if LeBron manages to get one more, I think you can make a legitimate and serious argument that he's the GOAT. Like, I really do think that. We were talking about that earlier today, just looking at competition and looking at all the different things each player had to go to. You said your piece about Michael. I said my piece about LeBron. But I think right now it's closer than it was before, easily. I mean, I agree with that. But for me, I think the debate opened up with the ring over the Warriors in 2016. Because for me, that is... As far as I'm concerned, and again, we, we've done our, our as much research as I think kids our age could probably do, but definitely in our lifetimes and maybe in NBA history, that might be the most impressive individual accomplishment in history, that, that 2016 run by LeBron. So for that, that's when I went, okay, maybe he'll never win six rings. We all know he'll never be 6-0 and in the finals. But if he can do performances like that, like that's the, the difference between him and Jordan. Not that Jordan doesn't have phenomenal performances, mm-hmm. but for for 
to come down from 3-1 against the team with the best record in NBA history, Jordan doesn't have anything that comes close to that on his resume, unfortunately. So for me, that's when it opened up. This ring here, for me, doesn't really do a lot, and that doesn't mean it takes away from it by any stretch. I think winning one, especially in such a difficult year, is definitely an accomplishment and probably the second best ring on LeBron's resume as far as I'm concerned, but still... Is he better than Jordan now? No. Is he closer than he was a week ago? I guess, but not by a, a huge margin in my mind. When you say better, what do you mean? Like just like the greatest or the better player? Oh, greater. Well, yeah. Okay. okay. Good. I just I just want to make that clear. semantics. But you got to yeah. You gotta, but no, like you LeBron's the best like basketball player ever, in my opinion. Just like Hooper, he can do everything better, almost everything better than Michael Jordan. Than almost anyone that's ever touched. Maybe, the court but this before. this is where we get into this this classic uh, part of, of this debate that we have to address, and I don't even know if we've done it on the show yet. But if not, it's it's one of my favorite tropes in sports to talk about over and over because it's true that if you put Bill Russell in today's NBA, he might not start on an NBA team, and that's not even a knock on Bill Russell. What the point is is that you have to judge these guys against the guys that they played against, and that's where I think you can really have interesting conversations about who the greater player is because no. you're right LeBron one-on-one he probably would beat Jordan if we're being honest but in my mind that doesn't really mean a ton because we should be judging them against their peers and how they fared against their peers and in my mind Jordan was still better than the pack that he played against than LeBron is versus the guys he's played against throughout his career well yeah I get that but when when, did, when was Bill Russell winning all those rings like the 60s late 50s yeah throughout late the 50s, 50s yeah I mean I think the level of competition is more comparable from the 90s to now than it was from the 50s, 60s to the 90s. I think the level of competition jumped up a lot more. So that's when people bring up Bill Russell. Like, that's super different. But when you bring up, like, the 90s to 2020, for example, I think it's a lot closer than, like, do you get what I'm trying to say? Like, that yeah. gap is definitely a lot smaller nowadays than it is from 60s to 90s. Yeah, from '90s to now. I was saying the, the leaps in the game have slowed down maybe a little bit from the '90s to now as right. compared to the history before that. It, Michael I don't Jordan wouldn't be able to do anything against the guys. Not anything. Okay, I take that back. But those those Michael Jordan teams, as amazing as they were, like I don't think they'd be able to like get to the Eastern Conference. But, fi- but my finals whole point is, I don't. I do not care about those hypotheticals because we don't know, and it, it's the same thing. And I do think it's a valid question as much as you know our generation wants to discredit it. But if you say if you put the Warriors back in those days, would how would they do with all the hand checking? How would they be able to deal with all that physicality that we don't see in the game today? So I think that you're getting down this whole rabbit hole of hypotheticals where you don't know how any team would have done in any era other than the era that they played in. So right. by that, I am forced to just judge a team based on how they performed in that era because otherwise, who knows where, what we're going to get into there. Yeah, that's fair. I I think if LeBron gets one more ring in L.A., I think for him to get five rings, I think... I think that would honestly solidify him as the GOAT. Honestly, I really do think that. I don't think he needs – he's been to more finals. I think then you have to bring up competition because that's another argument. you got to bring up who's the better basketball player. But I think if LeBron ends with four, I think you can say Michael Jordan's still the GOAT. But I think if LeBron gets another one, I think you can look at a lot of other things to make to make the argument for him instead of Michael. Personally, for me, I think if LeBron gets another one, I might have him above Jordan – at, at worst, they're absolutely neck and neck at that point. Like, I would Same. not still say Jordan is, like, far and away the best player ever. I'd be like, I don't know at this point. Now it's really, really, really close. Is, is LeBron number two for you? Yeah, okay. yeah, definitely. Okay. After after the Cleveland one, um, like I said, he definitely made a huge jump in my all-time rankings. But I, I do think in order to be 
undoubtedly the GOAT, like you're saying, for, for everyone to unanimously agree he's the GOAT the way we did with Jordan maybe five or six years ago until mm-hmm. LeBron went on this second run here. I think in order for that to happen, he has to win six rings. I think he has to match Jordan at least. And then you'd go, and he also made the finals another, whatever it was, five or six times and lost there. And he's got all these other accolades. He, look at the longevity compared to Jordan's career. I think at that point you can make that argument. But as long as Jordan has more rings than LeBron, I think there will always be people out there who, who defend Jordan. And right. I don't really blame him too much for that. I mean, I don't like the people that take away from LeBron losing the finals. Like I LeBron, don't either. We, we're 20 years old, Joey. And what I'm saying is I think that could flip. I think that if LeBron yeah. wins with six... This, with this ring, it, I think it's already starting yeah. to flip. I think if you win six, then you look at it and you go, wait, he won six, same amount as Jordan, plus he made it another, yeah. I think it's six, another six times, right? I think, I think that, that narrative's starting to flip like right as we speak, in my opinion, at least. I think four and six is a lot better. If it was three and seven, oh my God, like there was, there'd be no chance. People would start throwing him behind like other players. Like If he lost his final somehow against the Heat, I think he would start dropping ranks. Like He would be like... Unfairly, you're saying, right? Yeah, fairly or you unfairly. Think so? I think that's what would have happened. I haven't really thought about that. Yeah. But, I don't know, four and six. Like, we're 20, he's been in the finals half of our lifetime. Yeah. Half of the years we've been alive, he's been in the finals. Like, that's absurd. When he wasn't in the finals last year, everyone was like, what, what's going on? Felt who's weird. This, who's, this rap, who's this Raptors team, Kawhi? Like, no one, no one really got it. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad he got it. I know you aren't glad. You can talk about it. You can say a few words for that. I'm not not glad. It's There's a lot of talk now about the Lakers only having 12 championships because five of them were won in Minneapolis. And oh, that, my. They're not really tough. I don't, I don't buy into all that. All no. right, then I we're not going to count Celtics I'll go on rings. the record. Well, okay. I mean, How many teams that's, it's not quite yeah. the, the difference. The, the reason that – the one reason that I give the, the Minneapolis argument a little bit of credence, and it's, it is interesting, what? is that – I've never heard of this argument. Okay. Can you explain it well, you know, you know George Mikan? No, dude. Okay, George Mikan, the greatest Minneapolis Laker of all time, won, won, led them to five championships. Okay. You know whose number is not in the Raptors at Staples Center? Uh, George Mikan. George Mikan. But they take credit for those five championships and add them to their 17. Just something interesting. I Again, I think they deserve those five championships. I think they have 17 championships. That's the most... If you ask me who has the most championships in NBA history, I'm going to say the Celtics and Lakers are tied at 17. But not retiring Mikan's number and taking credit for his championships is just a little funky did they, thing. That did the they retire anyone else in that team? Do you know? Um, I know Mikan was the best player on the team, oh, and they haven't retired his number. I don't know most, about the other guys. This but. is the most New England thing. It's always taken away. I, I understand it, Lakers, Celtics. I but Celtics, I think for Celtics me, fans take it another level. For personally, sure. for me, I wouldn't take them away. I, I say they have 17 titles, but but like I, me, I've never heard anyone it, say that before. I feel yeah, like it's you and your little world of like New England. Celtics pride. It's a big world. <laughs> big world over here. But one of those teams that the Lakers took down on the way to the title was the Houston Rockets. And we've obviously already seen a huge overhaul, at least behind the scenes and I guess on the bench as well. Mike mm-hmm. D'Antoni stepping down a couple of weeks ago. We kind of all saw that one coming. But the shocker came down today as Daryl Morey, the president of basketball operations for Houston for the past 15 years or so, has also stepped down. And the Rockets are now stuck with James Harden and Russell Westbrook and no big guys on that roster and not really a clear direction going forward, Ryan. So in your mind, where do the Rockets go from here? Are they still a contender going into next year? Do you reload and get the right guys around Harden and Westbrook and get a coach that can bring out the best in them? Or is this a time for you to maybe hit the reset button? I don't I don't like that you use the word stuck. I don't like that. They're stuck with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. They're Who's stuck the with Westbrook. Oh God. They might not be Shall stuck we... with Harden. Okay, you can't so move we're Westbrook so right now. we're back to the radio, so maybe I gotta make this clear. But I love Russell Westbrook. 
and I'm sick of all the hate he gets all the time. So I'm just going to make that clear. I think they're stuck with his contract. I think he has a ridiculous That's what contract. I mean, if I'm being honest. But him as a player, he's still he's still top 15 player in the NBA right now. And he gives you something that almost no other player in the NBA can give you, which is just energy. Energy, dog, and athleticism constantly. And just that EDA. will to win. EDA. Um, wow, that was a good acronym right off, right yeah, off the top. Yeah, crazy acronym. <laughs> um, just rolls off the tongue, huh? I think they need to trade either James or Russ because I don't. Well, <laughs> wait. <laughs> no, because so exactly what because, I just said. Yeah, they do. They do need to trade them okay. because I think they are compatible, but they're compatible under a certain system, which you saw with Mike D'Antoni in the small ball lineup when they had Clint Capella. Russell Westbrook was having one of the worst series he's ever had, and they weren't getting the best out of him. And they were losing games. And then they trade him away. They do something totally unprecedented and go Robert Cummings. P.J. Tucker at the five, who's what, 6'5", six, 6'5"-ish? Five, six, six, five six, yeah, probably. Around that. And James Harden and Russell Westbrook were able to do what they wanted to do and kind of dominate. Russ looked like his old self again, I think. But anyway. then didn't we see what their ceiling was as soon as the playoffs rolled around and they faced the Lakers? Daniel, Daniel House is out. Great Daniel size. House okay. decided to so. sneak someone in. I don't want to throw shade, but he decided to sneak someone in, and he's a, he was a very good starting player on that team, and I think that made a big impact on them. All right. But the Lakers probably would have won anyways. I think they need to trade James or Russ because whoever coach comes in, I don't know if they'll be able to schematically make those guys work together. I think you need to trade James Harden if you're the Rockets. I agree. I think that's move one. I think because you can get more for him. You get a haul for Harden. Your one goal in that trade. Well, I guess you, you should get some young players. You should get some picks. But the main thing you should be looking to not do is create a super team somewhere if you're Houston. Because I think Houston can rebuild pretty quickly. I think we've seen that they've got very good ownership, willing to spend the money. And without Maury, that obviously changes a lot. But if you've got a Maury disciple stepping right in to take his spot, you're going to have a lot of the same you know, philosophies, principles, whatever you want to call them, in play in Houston. I think that they're still ready to compete, but you're at a crossroads now. And I think, I think you trade... Harden now, you get an absolute haul for him, and then you, you rebuild around Westbrook until that contract's up. And it is almost like what the Thunder did last year, in my mind. I don't think the, the Rockets on the roster right now have nearly the young talent the Thunder did a year ago, but we saw what they got for Westbrook, obviously, and Paul George. And you get a guy like Shai Gilgis alexander in there. You bring in CP3 to be that veteran leader. If you kind of built a team around Westbrook and Houston with a lot of young guys and had them develop around him, I think... I don't know what happens, but I think it's interesting. And I think it's better than what they have right now, which is two guys who, as we saw, you had to do something very extreme for them to complement each other, and that extreme move resulted in a second-round exit. So I think you, right. you have to do something different, and I think you're getting way more for Harden if you trade him rather than Westbrook, so he's the guy that's got to go. So it was con- it's confirmed. I actually didn't know that. The Daryl Morey, Daryl Morey disciple came up. like He's like yeah. the new GM. Yeah. Okay, so... Actually, kind of changes things because what it depends what coach comes in. Because if you get like Jeff Van Gundy was supposed to be like, well, hey, hey, we'll get to that. We'll get to the coach. Oh, we'll get to the coaching. I guess fine. That's all I'm gonna say then. I think whatever coach comes in, if they have their own philosophy and they don't agree with the whole, excuse me, like three pointers or layups, want to play more traditional basketball, then I don't know if the whole Daryl Morey disciple thing. It's going to make any sense. Like, I don't really think it matters who the GM is 
as long as the right coach is there. Well, an important thing with Maury, too, to acknowledge, because we're, we obviously know Maury today so much for these past three or four years or whatever with Harden, all built around Harden. But let's not forget, he was the GM for a while with Yao and T-Mac on the roster, and he rebuilt that team. He made the Harden trade back in 2013, 2014, whenever that was, to bring him in, and obviously Harden's game has evolved a lot since then. So it's not as if Maury thought you could only win the way that they've been playing the past couple of years. He just kind of landed on that, mm-hmm. and obviously that really fell in line with how D'Antoni has felt, given what we saw with him do, uh, how we saw him handle the team in Phoenix in particular. So I think that Maury and his disciples probably aren't just one-trick ponies. I think that they could adapt. I don't think that he taught them strictly, no, shoot the most threes in the world, and that's the only mm-hmm. way you can win games. So I think that they know that there's other ways to go about it, and I, I'm just really interested to see where they go from here and see how much they kind of cling on to those those moves that D'Antoni and Maury made over the past couple of years. Hey, if, if they trade James and get some good players around Russ, that's that's a solid playoff team. I'm not saying it's a title contender at all, but... In the West? Yeah, in the West. If the Thunder could do it with... I mean, they had a, they had a better constructive team, to be fair. It depends what you get back from James, but I think you get a haul back from James, like you said. And I think if you still have shooters around Russ, I think that's a... I'm not saying it's a top four seed. I'm not saying they're a title contender. That's still a competitive team if you get some picks for James Harden. Once Russ is off that contract and probably on his way out of the league, those picks start coming up. No, I'm being serious. Like those picks start coming up, and I don't know. I think I think the Rockets aren't in a terrible situation, but I think they will be if they just kind of ride this out. I agree. I maybe give it a season. Maybe give it a season or half a season. Trade them at the deadline. You know what I mean? See how it works out. I just don't see the point in that. I think I think right now you have to be having these difficult conversations and saying. What are we really doing here? Are are we going to win a title? Like I think I think we saw the best shot when they were up three two on Golden State two years ago. I think that that was the best shot. And I think mm-hmm. Westbrook was a great experiment. It was a great way to change it up and to give it another go because obviously CP three and Harden weren't getting along at a certain point, so you had to do something about that. But I think we saw that that can't really get you over the hump either. So now it's like, well, now we fired our coach, we fired the GM that pioneered this whole thing and now we expect someone else to come in and make it better but no one's i don't think this new gm has the guts like i feel like this guy's not going to come in there and be like all right let's start having the difficult conversations fair enough but that could be ownership as well that could be ownership coming Fertitta. in and saying yeah. saying what do we, I, i'm Tilly paying Fertitta. all this luxury tax money year after year and what do we have to show for oh it? and so, he talks about all the time how he wants to win like, yeah have you you've, you've seen him on like yeah. first take and all of his interviews there, were, like, there were rumors that maury might have gotten fired and that's incredible to think about given the the track well record that he's accumulated over the years but right there, there was legitimate pressure on him and again it i mean it says he steps down and We've seen that with a lot of these, though, where then you hear behind the scenes that there was a little bit more frustration maybe than was mm-hmm. released to the public. But I'll take this one as stepping down. But I'm just saying we, we know the pressure that, like you said, Furtado puts on his guys in charge of the basketball side. So I do think that if he wants to get a little bit of a cut on the on the luxury tax in these next couple of years, if he looks at this team and doesn't see a legitimate title contender, I think that's all that new GM would need. But I agree, right. a young GM coming in, it's it's a difficult first move to make. But if the owner's telling you that's what you got to do, I mean that's your boss. You gotta you gotta do what he says at the end of the day. Yeah, I I totally agree, Joey. But you just want to see Russ get a ring. Yeah, I think I think I think the only way at this point of his career with his ridiculous the ridiculous amount of money he has on his contract at his waning ages, I think the only way he'll get a ring is if he kind of like comes off a bench somewhere when he's like when he's like older. I'm not saying like with the but when he's like, if he's still in the league at the age of like 38 or something, like kind of kind of a ring chaser type of thing. 
nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Like maybe when you KD, maybe when KD twenty eight doing it, that's a little different. But Russ thirty eight, snake. I I shouldn't get you down that path. But we'll we'll move (laughs) away from the NBA. There's plenty to talk about in the NBA offseason. It should be pretty explosive, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a bit doing some predictions for who ends up as the head coach in some marquee destinations. But for now, we'll move to the NFL. And Ryan, the story right now in the league has to be COVID-19. Unfortunately, it is ravaging locker rooms left and right. The Atlanta Falcons with a case today. We've already seen what's happened to the Titans and the Patriots in particular. So Ryan, looking at the protocols that the NFL has put in place, or maybe lack thereof, how do you think this season ends up going for the NFL? I I st- I think they're going to finish... I think the lack of travel is the only thing they have on their side on their team right now, I guess. Um, I think it was a matter of the teams not taking it as seriously as the league would like them to. I think the league put in these protocols and stuff, but at the end of the day you're, you don't have Roger Goodell at each of the and his assistants at each of the facilities making sure everyone's following the protocols. So teams probably get lazy in the first because the first few weeks it was fine, right? There were no there were no cases the first few weeks, no noticeable ones at least where games are getting canceled, and then teams start going, which I think everyone in the world is kind of going, oh, well, this thing must be getting better, and start taking things less seriously. So I think it's more on the teams than the NFL. I think individually, I don't know if there's a way to punish these teams, because at the end of the day, it's not really their fault, I guess, because you never know where they could have gotten it. But with a team like the Titans, where everyone's getting screwed and everyone has COVID, I think, like, some real punishment should be had out there for them. What yeah, and, and looking at the Titans, I think they're the most interesting subject to look at so far in all this, and it's not been confirmed, but there has been reports that they were not following protocols, and there was pictures of a lot of them playing at like a local high school the, yeah. the day that the facilities got shut down and all that, so it's not looking great for them right now, and they, they definitely should be punished. They, they absolutely have to be if the NFL wants to be taken seriously at all. They put all these protocols in place. They, they trust all these players and all these coaches trusted them to follow through on all this and actually execute them and keep them all safe. And they haven't done that so far. Mm-hmm. So my biggest question is when you're looking at the Titans and you want to punish them, my gut instinct is any games that they miss should be losses. Because well, I mean, yeah, you miss I mean, them. There's be- nothing else you can do. Yeah, right? because you if if you deem that the the fact that they missed the fact that there was a COVID outbreak was because that they were irresponsible about it, then they should lose those games. It shouldn't be oh no, this this tragic thing happened. There was a bunch of outbreak. There was a bunch of cases. A huge outbreak. No, they it happened because they were irresponsible about it. At least that's what we're hearing. But right. the problem with that is you give them a loss. Now you're looking at teams that they were supposed to play. What happens to, to that opponent? Do they catch a win for right. what the Titans did wrong? Because then you're coming down to the end of the season, say teams 11-5, and five, one 10-6, and six, and the 11-5 and five team got a free win because they were supposed to play Tennessee in Week 4. So yeah. now, you're, now you're getting into really dicey territory there. So how do, you, how do you punish a team, whether it's the Titans or another team, who you find breaking protocols, Ryan? Do you think it's losses? Do you think it's fines, draft picks? How do you, how do you really get to it there? I think it's fines for now. I think you find the hell out of them. Like, try to take as much money away from them as you can. As long as there's, like, a proper investigation. As long as you don't see, oh, six people have COVID, like, just find them. I feel like there has to be serious investigation. Why did this happen? What was the reaction? What did they do after? Like, with the Titans, you hear about the high school workout thing, like you brought up, and how they weren't following protocol practice and stuff like that. That deserves a fine. But right now, a few Falcons uh, staff, we don't know if it's players or staff right now, have it but if i i feel like the nfl should do investigation see if they were following protocol 
interview some people, see what was going on, and if they were found to not be following protocol, not getting tested regularly, or doing any of the other things, not wearing their masks where they're supposed to, I think you should find them. And I think if it continues to happen, because we all know how much money these uh, teams make, uh, I don't know about... I don't know. I, you can't really give anyone a win or a loss, because if you give someone a loss, you have to give someone a win. And I or totally give see someone else a buy, and then one team only plays 15 games compared to everyone else playing 16, and that's a, can't do that. a huge problem in and of itself as well. You can't, you can't do that. You I, just can't. Especially I not in football, because there's 16 games. In baseball, you can do that, because it's like 60 games like they just had, but football, you can't do that. And this is really tough, because obviously there's no precedent for how these punishments will go. You look at, obviously the Patriots have been caught cheating a couple of times, yep. and you look at how, yep. how Wait, they say were... say that again. Say that again. And, uh, but you look at how they were punished each time, and we know that down the line, if a similar incident was to occur, that it should kind of be along those same guidelines. But with this, it's a lot more difficult because we've never had a pandemic before. We've never played through a pandemic before. And we've never had teams breaking pandemic protocols before. Right, no one so, has the answers. So there's no guidelines to go by. So no matter what it is, some people say it wasn't enough. Some people say it was way too much because we just don't know what to even gauge this off of. But in my opinion, I think it's it's got to be draft picks because – you're, you're hurting the integrity of the league, especially when we see how successful the NBA bubble just went. And pretty much MLB had a, a rough start there, but now we're seeing the playoffs and a bubble environment, and you haven't heard a lot of bad press coming out of baseball in a couple of months as well. So I think the NFL is just has an absolute stain on them right now for the way that they're handling this. They're just rushing through it all and just not really... like They have protocols in place, sure, but clearly if you break them, you're not getting too much more than a slap on the wrist at this point. So I think, it, like you said, you definitely need full investigations and you need to prove that protocols were ignored and all that is, of course, true, which the NFL seemed to neglect a couple of times with some of the Patriots investigations, but we'll move past that. But you have to, you have <laughs> whoa, to, prove, you have to prove that they did something wrong mm-hmm. and then I think, I think it's got to be draft picks because you have to hit these organizations where it hurts NFL owners are probably the richest owners out of any of the sports. Mm. Fines are only going to do so much. If you really take away a first-round pick from a team like the Titans, who maybe isn't the biggest free agent destination in the world, definitely relies on building through the draft. You take away a first-round pick, all of a sudden that may hurt a whole lot more than any amount of money could. So I think that's got to be the move if you're the league. Yeah, I totally agree. But, Joey, don't you kind of enjoy watching like Tuesday Night Football and stuff like that? I honestly think that's kind of a cool thing that's come out of it. Is that like two Monday night football games? I think that if they want to keep doing what they're doing now, I think honestly it wouldn't be a bad idea to do like a keep doing like the Tuesday night football, throwing a Wednesday night football, Friday. Like people want sports right now. The NBA over with, baseball starting to cool down a little bit with only four teams left in the playoffs. Like hockey's over with. Yeah, and I was following the the negotiations for. NFL at the beginning of it all when they were trying to figure out how they were going to make the season work and then obviously what we kind of saw was just eh screw it we'll we'll just do it we'll just play it how we usually do and put a few protocols in place but it it should work out and obviously it hasn't but at the time it, it was being considered that they would play games on different days and I thought that, that was a super intriguing option because then you you have people traveling at different times and all that it's all kind of offset rather than mm-hmm. everyone in the same place at the same time doing the same thing so I think that that was an intriguing idea from the start, but I think at this point, I think they've already dug a little grave for themselves now, and I think the the best way to get out of it is adding an 18th week, if need be. I think that's the, the most flexibility you could really allow, because then if all these teams keep missing games, then you just add another week, and then you, you make the matchups from there. You can mm-hmm. even you can mix and match the matchups if you have to. I don't, right. I'm not that mad if 
who are the Patriots playing this year? What division? It's the uh, the West, isn't it? Are we playing you? Yeah, NFC West. What are you talking about? Because the Pats yeah, you're playing. If we year. if we miss the game against the Cardinals and we have to play the, I don't know, the the Chargers instead, like I'm okay with that. If right. that's how we get through the season, and I don't think anyone should really throw a fit. So mm-hmm. I think they have to just get creative and figure out a way to get through it because, like I said, they they've gotten themselves into this hole. So you might as well finish the season now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Actually, so there's 18 weeks in the NFL season. Normally. 17. There's 17. 16 games, and then you. Yeah, I feel like one or two weeks adding on to that's like kind of perfect. I don't know. Like time, you're not really like rushing against the time. What we liked most about the NBA was that like there was something going on one at night, and they knew that we're gonna get that many ratings, so they just pushed it back a night. You know what I mean? Like I think this pandemic has taught everyone to be flexible for the most part and i think it the nfl would do very well in learning how to be flexible not going they have to play monday they have to play thursday and they have to play all day sunday i think it would be great if they were flexible hey no guys take the week off we'll extend it and figure it out later in the season because nfl is so rigid and so scheduled and planned that i think it'd be great for them to learn to be flexible in the end and have two weeks at the end of the season for not makeup games, but you know what I mean, those games that were screwed over because of the pandemic. So, And another thing I like to always say on the show when we're looking at leagues and their decisions uh, to you know respond to controversies and stuff like this is it is always better to be proactive than reactive. And in this case, right. they are totally being reactive right now in everything that they do. So I think a proactive move such as saying right now, hey, we're adding another week to the season in case anything else pops up. You know, we can take it back if – it doesn't work out. Maybe that screws up TV rights or something, but but you have to figure it out. You have to work through it and actually be the ones making the moves rather than just reacting to everything that's going wrong around you. So mm-hmm. they have to do that at some point. Uh, I hope it's sooner rather than later because, as we've said so far, it hasn't been great for the NFL. Right. But I hope to see a season finish, and we will give our top five NFL teams at the end of the show. Excuse me, a little bit of power rankings action there, but... Before we get into that, Ryan, we'll get into the Emerson Spotlight. This is where we always talk about the sports going on on campus, how our teams are doing. And obviously this semester that looks a little <laughs> bit different because we have no games. We have no teams actually playing competitively right now for the, uh, for the fall season. And with the NESCAC canceling their winter season, unfortunately it looks like the NEPSAC may be canceling soon as well. But not to be too much of a pessimist. Uh, I hope that we get to see our basketball team out there because we all know that that's the that's the breadwinner for this Emerson Athletics, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Breadwinner, come on. God. Anyways, the oh. but Ryan, but Ryan, I want to ask you though because while there are no games, all this all the teams have still been practicing pretty much as if you're you're getting ready for a season. So mm. how has the practicing been going? I know you've been running a whole lot. Do you feel like it's it's almost pointless given the fact that you have no season, or are you getting mm. a lot out of it still? Well, we were given a six-week fall season, and during the spring, this would have been our spring season. So in our spring, we're given like a six- to eight-week, I believe, spring season. So we kind of flip-flopped it, hoping that we could have some semblance of a normal soccer season in the spring. So we did the first two weeks was non-contact running. (laughs) So we just ran, mile. We did sprints, miles, agility, stuff like that. And then the two weeks after that was like individual ball work, you could have a ball, but only you could touch the ball. And that was really fun. And then there were in the last, I actually have my last practice tomorrow of the six weeks. And this has been basically 
only this last week has been full contact between everybody on the team. So that's new. And it feels good to be out there with your team, but we're still wearing masks off the field. When we're on the field, we, we're allowed to, like, keep the... We're given these, um, you know, those pull-up masks. Mm-hmm. We keep them around our necks, so, like, when we're out there, we can just play with them down. Then we get off, we pull them back up, drink some water, put them back up. When we interact, we pull them up. We get our temperatures checked whenever we get there. We're tested once a week, so it's good. But it doesn't feel pointless because there's still that hope of a spring season. And if we do have a spring season, it would be like a new MAC tournament. So just be within our conference. And I think, I believe that we're one of the only teams in the new MAC that are, that has been allowed to do as much training as we've been allowed to do. Like MIT is not even back. So their, their practice, their team isn't even practicing. Pretty sure Babson wasn't allowed to do anything. Wheaton is, but not that much. Like only a few other teams were actually allowed to do something. So I feel like we're a little bit ahead of other teams because we're allowed to practice more and train more. So hopefully if spring comes around, we're allowed to have a season. That'd be really good. But And how's the team looking, Ryan? Good year this year? Yeah, we only graduated two seniors, um, Gavin and Creighton, our team captain and our lead goal scorer. But I think we had a really good team. I think we would have been pretty solid this year because we had a good group of seniors, good group of juniors, new incoming freshmen, a great Division One transfer. Um, and more of a solid team this year. We lost a few guys, but it's all right. Um, I don't know. I think we've been all pretty good this year. I think next year we'll be missing some of the guys that weren't allowed to play this year because of COVID. Our starting goalie, Arturo, Division One transfer, Luke, another Division One transfer. But, you know, we'll, we'll live and learn. Hopefully get some new recruits in next year. I, th- I think next year will be a good year. Hopefully make the new Mac playoffs, which we haven't done, so. And next year, senior year, you're hearing from Ryan Anderson, the former second-place New Mac Rookie of the Year. Um, hopefully, first-place New Mac MVP a year from now. Player of the Year. Maybe, maybe you never little, know. Maybe a ring to go along with it. <sighs> if, I, if I got a ring, Joey, I, pro- I, I don't know what I'd do. That'd be in my face. Pro. That'd be in my face all day. Well, I have another year of eligibility. What if I take that ring and take my next step? What if I just, like... Play at Stanford or something. Go to like Georgetown, reigning national champions. I think you might with that ring. I think you might get an NCAA violation for this one. <laughs> oh, am I not allowed to talk about this? I might bleep not. Bleep it out. Sorry, we're live. <laughs> edit, edit. Nah, we're live, nah, nah, but nah. edit. I think you're good. I, I don't know if Stanford's really really scouting you too hard, Ryan. Yeah, no offense, my grades but, though. Like they're looking at my grades. Yeah, that 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 could be true. Um, Emerson Spotlight though, a little bit different this year. Obviously, hopefully we get some Emerson sports at some point to talk about, but for the time being, it's just going to be a lot of Ryan talking about talking about soccer and whatever. So, yeah, not nah, kidding. But now we'll move out of the Emerson spotlight into the forecast, and you guys have all seen the news. You know what a forecast is. You're looking ahead, and you're – I guess they, they're not quite making predictions. They know a little bit more about the weather than we do about what we're predicting today, and that is going to be some of the head coaching vacancies in the NBA namely the Rockets and the Pelicans, because, Ryan, we also had the Clippers on this list, but obviously just a couple of hours ago they officially came to an agreement with Ty Lue to be the head coach. And one thing on the Ty Lue hiring, Ryan, that I do think is interesting, Hit me. timing-wise, he's a finalist for the Rockets job as well. Mm-hmm. Daryl Morey steps down. hour or two later we see Ty Lue signs with the Clippers. So that leads me to believe, and, and we know Ty Lue last year was very much on the fence with his decision as well because he's about to be the Lakers coach and then says, nope, give me five years. They say only three, and he says, never mind. So we know that Ty Lue thinks through these decisions very long and hard. And I think 
he might have been leaning towards the Rockets until a couple hours ago, and then he sees Maury leaves, and he goes, what the hell, you guys didn't tell me anything about this, and then he goes, screw it, I'm going to Clippers now. Am I wrong? Am I reading too much no. into it, or do you think that, that might have played a role in his decision? I think you're right. I think you're totally right. He was announced as a head coach, what was it, literally hours after? Felt like maybe two hours, if that. It was When I say hours, yeah, it was like yeah. maybe two or three. Like He was announced as a head coach as soon as Daryl Morey was out of there, which I thought was super interesting. Because it just shows, not instability, because it just shows, like, things are changing. But maybe it showed him, oh, maybe this is not where I want to be right now. Because it's going to be a little bit of a transition, a little bit of a turning point. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I think you already have your mind made up while well, you're given, talking about it. I, I, think, I think he made the right call. Because, you as, think we, so? as we said about the Rockets yeah. earlier, it's just a, a situation in flux at this point. And you don't know quite which way they're going to go. And I'm sure he knows more, given the fact that he had probably multiple hour-long meetings with them. But still... Maybe he wasn't completely sold in what their vision for the next step was because, as we said, it's probably a next step regardless of what it is. It's it's probably not going – well, we know it's not going out with the same guys and the same coach because the coach is already gone. And I think I think you're going to see some roster movement as well. Maybe not trading away one of the superstars like we said, although that is what we would both recommend. But I, I think you got to make some kind of moves if you're Houston after what you saw this year. Well, so Ty Lue with the Clippers. That's a, better, that's a better job to have, you were right, the Clippers job because there's more – it's more stable. Clippers is tough though too, because high higher expectations. I think higher expectations, but you have a better team to fulfill those expectations and better one-two punch than the Houston Rockets. Because the Houston the, Rockets is more unique. I think with the Clippers though, and we didn't obviously have a chance to, to talk about this as we didn't really keep going throughout the NBA playoffs, but. The Clippers were so exposed for their lack of a real point guard in the playoffs. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. And you look at the Lakers with LeBron obviously being the de facto point guard, but you got to give a lot of credit to Rondo coming off the bench yeah. and being the, the consummate point guard, a, a player that we don't really see in the NBA too much today, a player that the Clippers basically built their roster around knowing they didn't have a guy like that and were pretty much just okay with it, rolling out Pat Bev as their point guard all year long just trusting that their wings would get it done for you. But at the end of the day, we know that that's not going to get it done. So I think mm-hmm. the Clippers need a point guard in there. I think it could be Rondo if they manage to to put enough cash together because I think Rondo played himself into a nice payday throughout those playoffs. But He's a free agent. I, I don't right? think, yeah, I don't think Reggie Jackson and Mm-mm. Pat Bev and letting Shamit bring it up and letting Kawhi and PG bring it up, I do not think that's the answer for a championship team. And at least Ty Lue, I mean, he, he was a point guard in the NBA, so I guess he brings a little bit of that experience to the table, but I still think you need a guy who's actually done it, hopefully a guy who's done it at a pretty high stage to come in there and run the show for that team. Don't you think it'd be kind of ridiculous if Rondo went from the Lakers to the Clippers? I don't think they'd throw, because they're pretty salary-strapped right now. How much money could they actually throw at them? Well, that's the question. The Lakers could throw more money at them, which they probably won't, but the Lakers could potentially throw more money at Rondo than the Clippers could. Sure, but... I think Rondo's an absolute mercenary. I think I think if the Clippers threw him more money, yeah. he looked at it and said, "Oh, As I you can, can start." Tell. You can said, tell from Celtics to Lakers. Yeah. Like, and he said, "Oh, I, I can start on this team and play with Kawhi and PG." And if if we win it all, everyone's going to go, "Hey, you know what? They needed a point guard. They bring in two-time champ Rondo, and look, he wins his third title in in a, in a third different city or third different uh, uniform at least." So I think I think that might be really appealing to him. But as we said, Clippers' job already wrapped and sealed up. So now let's move to the Rockets one. And Ryan, you threw a name out there earlier. Is is Jeff Van Gundy the guy you think that is the, perfect for this job? I honestly have no clue. <laughs> like, like I don't know what kind of coach he is because last time he was coaching, I wasn't really caring too much about the NBA. Who's his last team? The Rockets was that his yeah. last team? 
Yeah, like I wasn't really watching T Mac and Yao Ming play. That was kind of not before our time, but we were pretty young, and I didn't really watch the Rockets growing up. So honestly, I have no clue. He'd be interesting. I don't like listening to him on ESPN, so <laughs> he just kind of loves the Warriors too much. So I wouldn't mind him going to a team and getting off the airwaves. So I guess Jeff Van Gundy. I don't know. That'd be that'd be my guy. Who do you think? Well, I'm curious with Van Gundy now with Maury not in the picture because I believe Maury was the GM when Van Gundy was last with the team. So really, yeah. So I think I think that that was definitely a connection there that maybe made Van Gundy more willing to come back now with Maury out the door. Maybe he's looking at it similar to how Ty Lue looked at it, saying I don't know about this now with all these new guys running the show. So I, I think he's still definitely a candidate, especially if they want to run it back. As we've discussed, if they want to keep going with this group, I think Van Gundy's a good coach to bring in and hopefully rally the troops. He's definitely a great leader. He's got some great experience on his resume. And if he's willing to come out of the broadcast booth, which he's been in for you know 12 years or so now, if he's willing to come out of that to coach this team, clearly he means business. So I think, I think he's definitely an interesting candidate. But if I'm the Rockets, I'm thinking more along the lines of just a guy who hasn't been a head coach before. Because I think if you look at the the great head coaches in the league right now, you look at Nick Nurse, who was a G League coach and an NBA assistant for a while. He gets hired. Everyone goes, what the hell are they doing? They're supposed to be a title contender. He wins the title his first year. You look at Brad Stevens coming from small school Butler and what he's been able to accomplish. I think that we've seen a trend of the best coaches in the league, the coaches who we consistently talk about being guys that come from places that you can't quite predict. And given that, I don't know if I necessarily have a name for the Rockets, but I think that if I'm them and they do what what we recommended they do, which is mm-hmm. maybe take a bit of a transition here, I'm doing a deep dive for a coach, for a guy that I really like, for a guy that's maybe a bit of a risk because you're entering a phase of your franchise where you probably should take a bit of a risk. Right, I, I totally agree with that. I just looked it up in Jeff Van Gundy's last year. Well, Jeff Van Gundy... Was, was he fired or he quit? I don't know. Whatever. So Jeff Van Gundy's last year, and then Daryl Morey came in. So maybe that doesn't have as much as an impact as we once thought before. So I don't know. I think a new guy would also be cool because we've been seeing the NBA, these new young coaches been coming up and doing big things and doing great things with their teams. So I think to throw a wrench in it would be a great idea for this franchise because they don't really know what's going on. <laughs> like I, I think they're kind of – they're not being proactive right now. I think they're just kind of reacting to everything, which some of it's not their fault. Mike D'Antoni quit on the airplane back. Like, they didn't th- see that coming. He was probably going to get fired, though. But um, then Daryl Morey stepping down, his own choice. It's kind of imploding from within, and I don't think the owner saw this coming. So, well, moving into our last head coaching job. Um, the Pelicans, probably one of the youngest and most exciting teams with some of the most exciting players on their team, Joey. Lonzo Ball, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram. Uh, are there any coaches out there that you think could step in and do a good job with this team after firing Alvin Gentry? Well, allegedly there's a top four that they're looking at, and two of which are assistants right now, so we won't get too deep into them. But I, I think I think that's intriguing to bring in a guy with no head coaching experience, but... I think that they need someone to really whip them into shape kind of thing because the defense last year was just terrible, and you've got a lot of talent on that team, and I think that they could legitimately compete a lot sooner than we think. I think Zion is ready to be a borderline superstar right now, and they've got an all-star next to him in Brandon Ingram. Lonzo still has not even scratched the surface on his potential as far as I'm concerned. So another guy on the list that's intriguing is Stan Van Gundy. 
Um, but he hasn't coached in a few years now. And Stan, like, I don't know what he's done at any point that I'm really blown away by, by any stretch. He's in Miami at the beginning of his career, gets booted out by Pat Riley. Riley takes over, they win a ring. And then Orlando, he's got a very good team led by a guy who we seem to have forgotten how great he was in Dwight Howard. And they, they make one finals and get whooped in that. So I'm not sold on, on Stan. A guy that is not on this list that I would have loved to see being considered is Mike D'Antoni. I think D'Antoni comes in and the, he doesn't fix the defense, but I think he comes in and you build upon what you did last year, which is you were a very good offensive team. You didn't really care a whole lot in the defensive end. D'Antoni could actually do that and make it work, which we didn't see with Alvin Gentry. So if you want to be that team, just freewheeling, running the floor, because they have good individual defenders. I, I think at the end of games, if they wanted to lock up, I think they're capable of doing that with the guys right. that they have. But if you just want to be a freewheeling team and just run and gun in the whole game long, D'Antoni's the guy to bring in to do that. It's not really what the Rockets ended up as, but that's still his identity as a coach deep down due to his time with the Suns. So I, I would have loved to see D'Antoni at least be considered for this, but it, it's strange to me that basically only the Pacers, I think, are the, the only team that has really been linked to D'Antoni. Yeah, well, D'Antoni, doesn't. I don't think he has a great track record in the NBA. I don't think a lot of coach, uh, owners are jumping. I think that's unfair, though. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it's fair either because those Suns teams were great and they could have had chances. And he goes to, make to the Lakers and gets that very whole... controlled there. Goes to the Knicks and him and Melo don't really get along. Um, We've seen a few different coaches not really get along right. with Melo. So I think he's kind of gotten a bad rap, especially with the way the Houston thing kind of unfolded there at the end. I think he was as big of a part of that trifecta that we said, uh, Maury. D'Antoni and Harden. I think D'Antoni played as crucial of a role out of those three to that team's success as, as the other two. So yeah. I think that he's he's still a very unique coach, one of the more unique coaches in the league. But I think if you're going to give it a retread with one of these veteran coaches who we've seen come short of winning a title, I think he's as good as anybody. Why are you going to go Stan Van Gundy over Mike D'Antoni? That's, that's what I don't really understand. What do you really see in Stan that you don't see in D'Antoni? Uh, I don't see anything in either of them, to be honest, but I do agree. That's fair with, as well, though. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, but at the same time, they do need, like, a veteran coach or veteran, like, leader that gets in there, because I don't think a, a young coach, like, like, if you put, like, Nick Nurse with his team in his first year, when Nick Nurse went to the Raptors, he had Marcus Gasol, Kyle Lowry, um, Kawhi Leonard, he had all these, like, Surge, Surge. he had all these old players like veteran players who knew what they're doing and then you could coach up them coach up the young guys i don't think you go to the pelicans where you have like lonzo ball like because he has this whole ball thing going on you know what i mean <laughs> and look no further than luke walton with the lakers and to see how obviously you know ingram and, and now, ball with, the, and are now couple, with the kings well ingram and ball are a couple years older now but we didn't see them really develop at all under a guy like walton and i think a lot that's not even a knock against luke walton necessarily i just don't think he was the right coach for that team at that time. Right. And I don't think bringing in a guy along that same vein, a younger guy with little to no head coaching experience, I don't think that's the right move for this team. So looking at that top four, I guess I have to say Stan Van Gundy is the right call, but I don't I don't really love that one all that much at all. I wish they – I want new coaches in um, the NBA. Like I want to see new young coaches in the NBA, but like I don't think the Pelicans is a team – like, the Rockets would be a team to have a new young coach because they have a lot of veterans. Even that, the Clippers, too. Even the, even, and the Clippers. I would have been intrigued by, I mean, I right. like Ty Lue, but if they brought in some some no-name and said, 
you know, screw this old coaching staff. They they got us bounced in the second round. I wouldn't have been too mad at that either. Right. I, but I think Pelicans are a team that need, like, that veteran head coach. Absolutely. That you got to recycle. Because NBA is all about recycling all these head coaches, right? All these coaches that get fired after four or five years and then go somewhere else. Like, that's all the NBA is, honestly. So, I think the Pelicans should hold true to that because they have so much talent on that team. I agree. I agree. And I'm very excited to see how all these job openings get filled up because I think all three of those teams, depending on how things go, could could be competing for a title next year, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe definitely the Clippers more than the other two, but I think the Rockets, you make a couple of moves, maybe you see them in that picture. And the Pelicans, if everyone stays healthy and they shore up maybe on the defensive end a little bit, I think they are a top four seed in the West, honestly, or at least certainly have the potential to be there. But with that, we'll move away from the NBA and into our final segment of the day. That's our top five. And as we teased earlier, top five NFL teams today. So power rankings for you. And we'll start at five and work our way down to one. So, Ryan, who is your number five team in the NFL where it stands right now? Are we going to go five and then you give your five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So for my number five, I have the Ravens. I think that's a lot lower than what you would have expected. Okay, I'm looking at your facial reaction. Yeah, I think Ravens number five. I don't know. I, they haven't really done anything to, to surprise me. They're kind of the same old, same old team. A good team with, um. yeah, I don't know, with one loss to the Chiefs, which everyone kind of expected, to be fair. Like, the Chiefs are better. They have a better quarterback and a better head coach, in my opinion. So, I don't know. The Ravens are kind of like the same team as last year. Let's just see if Lamar Jackson can do anything in the playoffs. So they're my number five team right now. All right, five for me is the Titans. Obviously, we talked about them earlier. They gotta they gotta keep their heads on straight and keep their masks on. That's for sure. But if they're all out there healthy, we saw what they're capable of doing on Tuesday night football. Like you said, with the shellacking of the Bills, a team that maybe would have made my list a couple of days ago. But after that, I I have to keep the Titans on here at four and zero, a team that I didn't know how they were gonna do coming into this year given the, the improbable run of a year ago. But clearly they've shown it was not a fluke, and they've got that, that clear identity that I that I like to talk about, and they they make it work week in and week out. So that's they're 4-0 right now, so they've got to be number five on my list. But Ryan, and, what's, what's your number four? That's a good number five. I was honestly debating between the Ravens and the Titans, but I gave the Ravens a nod just because um, just their consistency over the last two years, I guess. Um, my number four, I have the Bills. I know they just lost the Titans, but I think – the Bills were bound to have one weird loss sooner, sooner rather than later, not stand defeated. And I think the Titans are a good loss for them to have. They're not going to get blown out like they just got blown out. I think that's the only time. I think honestly, they're going to beat the Chiefs this upcoming Monday Night Football. And I think I think the Bills are the best coach team, one of the best coach teams in the AFC. Um, I think they have one of the best up and coming quarterbacks. And I think the reason why he's doing so well is because he has one of the best coaches. Like if he had a not as great coach, like if he's with the Browns or something, like he wouldn't be doing as well but i think josh allen's great they have stefan diggs i don't know bill's number four for me i don't even know if they're in your top five but they're not i'm not i'm not sold on them yet i think it was I'm, I'm a sold. great i think it was great a great defense. four week stretch but that titans game is extremely concerning to me going forward um i don't think so i think i think the defense has been exposed this year way more than i could have expected i thought that that was the strength of the team but now like you said josh allen is at least before tuesday was legitimately making case at mvp um, and so, he, still, he still is. Yeah, yeah. But I think you got guys like Rodgers going off still. But we'll, we'll get to it. Well, I'm sure we'll get, we'll get to those another day. I, I, think that, I think that they're a good team, a playoff team, but not, not in my top five. 
But number four for me is a team that, that you just mentioned, Ryan, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I, I think that we've seen from the top three teams on my list, we've seen things that we haven't seen before. That makes sense. I've, I've been more sold on the three teams that I have above the Ravens from the Ravens so far. I've seen the running game not be quite as good as it was last year, which, to be fair, was historically good last year. Mm-hmm. So to expect it to be as good was probably unrealistic. But that was really the driving force of the team. It's not quite as good this year. Lamar Jackson still has the same issues that he had coming into the league. And I know he's an MVP, and he's great. He's absolutely an electric player to watch. But he still can kind of only play one way, which is very difficult when it comes down to the, the difficult games that we saw, like the one against the Chiefs mm-hmm. the other night. So... I still like them, but I do think it's it's a three-team race for me, at least. And I think the Ravens are that one team right on the outside right now. Yeah. Uh, I can't knock you for that. Ravens out of the Titans. Honestly, it, yeah, not bad. I mean, that's exactly what I would have done, I guess. Ravens just kind of bore me now. I don't know. I don't think they're yeah. going to do anything special. No, I agree. That's what I'm saying. I, I they're think... going to hit that first round of playoffs, and everyone's going to be watching the game purely to see if Lamar loses. Yeah, I think, I think we know what they are. I think what, we know what they do well, and I think we know what they can't do well. So right. is Lamar good enough to overcome his deficiencies when it comes down to it? We'll have to find out. But I'm betting on three teams being a little bit better than the Ravens. But, Ryan, what is your number three team? I have the Seahawks, which pains me to say as a Niners fan. Um, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson right now is the MVP of the league. And he's playing so well, but the only reason they're not in like the top two, I have another NFC team ahead of them, is because like that defense, like it's all Russell Wilson, right? It's all Russell Wilson or nothing. So I don't know, like that, like he has to make those game-winning drives against the Vikings to win these games. So I have Seahawks number three, good team. I, I think them being undefeated won't last long, but you never know. I have them at number three as well, and pretty much Ooh. for the same the same reasons you said. I think the defense is very concerning. I think the offense, I don't think it is just Russ offensively this year, at least. I think he's got a very good supporting cast around him offensively, at least. You haven't heard the same questions about the O-line that we've heard year after year after year, and obviously Mm -hmm. DK Metcalf in his second year is already looking like a maybe a top-five receiver in the league, definitely top-ten in my mind at this point. So I think think he's got finally a legitimate number-one receiver. You've got Lockett in a role now where he can actually do what he's best at which is not being a number one receiver and running all the most important routes he can work underneath and get a lot of room to run after the catch so I think they're they're built to last offensively but defensively it's definitely a concern but looking at them it's it's almost similar to me with the Chiefs how, the way I felt last year about the Chiefs where you look at the offense that in my mind is almost unstoppable with, with the Seahawks especially when you're watching that game against the Pats in week two there was mm-hmm. no answer for Russell Wilson in that offense right. but I think I think defensively they can get a stop when it really comes down to it. I think they've got enough talent to be able to do that, and obviously a great coaching staff around them. So I, I think they're capable of getting a stop if it's absolutely necessary. But just from quarters one through three, the defense has been horrible, horrible. and I, I can't overlook that. Yeah. Well, uh, we can talk about it another time, but DK Metcalf. I'm surprised how many teams passed up on him. But we but we, we got to talk about that one. Yeah. Sorry, hurts. sorry, Pats fans. So for my number two, I have the Packers. Undefeated, defense looking better this year. Uh, they did what they had to do on their off season and go get some O line, like you saw when the last last year when the Niners played them regular season, we ran right all over them, defensively and offensively. So they addressed what they needed to address in the off season and draft some O line and guys on the interior for their defense. And I don't know, the Packers look a lot better overall. And Aaron Rodgers, 
looks like Aaron Rodgers again after having not a great season last year. So, yeah, so I have Packers at number two. Joey, are they your number two as well? Chiefs are my number two. No way. Oh, my God. I love the Chiefs. It's the most Patri- Patriots thing ever. I love the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are by far the favorite to come out of the AFC because, as I said, the Ravens, I, I just don't think that they're nearly on the same level as the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs can just flip a switch whenever they want, whereas the Ravens, as we said, can only pretty much win one way. So AFC-wise, I think it's Chiefs, and I know it's it's two versus four in these rankings, but I think the difference is a whole lot bigger than it seems based on that. Um, but I just I think it's the same thing with them as we saw last year. The defense is better, uh, but offensively, as I said, whenever they want to score, they can probably score. There's not much more that needs to be said about the Chiefs. Them being at number two is not a knock on them by right. any stretch. They're weird. They're weird. I can go to my number one, I guess, because yeah. they're, they're well, my number who is one. It? Who, oh. <laughs> Chiefs are my number one. Um, but they're also like a weird team to watch because they just go down in games by like two touchdowns. They're kind of like the Warriors when they had Kevin Durant on the team. Like, I kind of think of them the same way. It's like they can be down by 20 going into the third quarter and going into the second half. And, like, I would still put some money on the Warriors because you know they can just come out, put up three-pointers, or you know the Chiefs are going to come out and just th- – Patrick Mahomes is going to throw a few um, touch three-pointers. <laughs> Sorry, throw a few touchdowns down the field with his ridiculous arm. And I don't know. I just think they're kind of – it's, like, weird. Like, they go down halftime, like, down 21-3, to three, and everyone's like, eh, it's fine. Like, it's fine. Yeah. And your Chiefs fan's like, you're not really tripping. So, I don't know. That's why I have Chiefs at number one, just because there's – offensively ridiculous, and they will continue to be ridiculous. Gun. That's fair, but I, I think I think them falling behind big against the Raiders, we saw that, and then no chance to come back in that one. And the Raiders are a solid team, don't get me wrong, but... Division, it's a division game. I don't it's, know. It's just not a game that you should be losing, and I think I think when you follow that formula, like you said, I think they rely on that a lot. I think they just are, they're very casual about a lot of it, mm-hmm. and they even were in the playoffs last year. Obviously, they didn't come back to bite them then, but I just think at some point it might. But a team that is not casual at all is the Green Bay Packers, who are number one on my list. I think that Aaron Rodgers is on a revenge tour. I think he's out mm. to show that he is okay, LeBron. You know, close to as talented as Mahomes, if not as talented as him, because that's always been the comparison that oh, Mahomes is great, but you know, he's the greatest since Rodgers. He's we right. all thought Rodgers was the most talented ever, but now we saw Mahomes. And before that, it was you know maybe Marino. And there's all these talent debates that we hear a lot. Rather, we all know Tom Brady's the goat, but he's not even close to, to the most talented quarterback of all time. So right. I think Rodgers is out to prove that he is just as talented as anyone in the game ever, and he's definitely showing it so far. He would be my MVP pick right now. I think him and Russ is neck and neck, but I'd go with him. Obviously, after the Jordan Love draft selection a year ago, and like you said, you, you mentioned all the other things, they shored up a lot of the holes that they had from a year ago, a team that a lot of people felt overachieved. I think this year they're, yeah. they're right where they should be, and I think I think last year is kind of still bleeding into a lot of people's minds. Thinking, yeah, no, you know, they're got a great record, but they're not quite as good as their record says they are. I think this year they are just as good as as four and says. I totally agree. They were not. I don't think they were supposed to be in that NFC Championship game. You know, I mean, I I was super surprised when they beat the Seahawks, and like I just I don't know. They they were not a good NFC Championship team. So. I totally agree with you. I think drafting Jordan Love lit a fire under Aaron Rodgers and possibly another reason why he's playing so well this year. Getting back to his old ways. Yeah, absolutely. And that those are our top five teams, and that is our episode for today. Hopefully you guys like the return. Tune in every Thursday night at 8 p.m. WECB.FM, and hopefully we'll get some podcasts out to you on Monday nights throughout mm-hmm. the week as well so we can get into a little bit more depth there. So check those out. Ryan, take us out. Peace. Peace. Thank you.
long time since I felt like this. And I've been eating pretty good like my bell size bit. Got the cars in my hand, I was dealt right quick. I'm a father to the game, guess I help my kids. And I know it's no common sense, but I'm just trying to kick back, no problems. I just want to chill out like popsicles. So where possible, what's popping dude? And I've been really, really thinking, what's your name? And could you pipe down when the hooks start playing? When the shit drops?